Koppel, host of the Time for Coffee podcast, where you get firsthand career advice into the jobs and industries that interest you the most. And before we start today's show, I have a quick favor to ask you. If you haven't already, I'd be incredibly grateful if you give us a rating and a review on iTunes. And if you're like me, you need to do it now because you'll forget later and because it's the best way to help others who may be in search of career advice to find this free resource. So press pause if you haven't done it and do it right now. I'll wait. Thanks so much and enjoy today's show. Java junkies, welcome back to another Espresso Shots episode of T4C. If you're interested in learning more about how to break into an international education company, then this is the episode for you because my next guest is the chief culture officer at Education First, a global education company which combines language training with cultural exchange, academic achievement, and educational travel to deliver courses and programs that transform dreams into international opportunities. But before I introduce you to Ming Chun, who also holds a Guinness Book World Record for the longest English lesson ever taught, I want to make sure you've signed up for the Java Junkies Journal. That's T4C's newsletter that features career advice and job-seeking tips, as well as unique insights into dozens of different industries from the professionals who are actually working in them. Just head over to the Time for Coffee website at time, the number four, coffee.org, and the sign-up box is right there. Now, my education-obsessed espresso lovers, please grab your mug and take a chug of your favorite caffeinated brew, because it's time for another caffeinated career conversation. And my guest is Ming Chun, the Chief Culture Officer at Education First, an international education company founded in 1965 in Sweden. And it specializes in travel, educational travel, cultural exchanges, and language training. Ming is based in Hong Kong and was recruited to join Education First, also known as EF, right out of Harvard Business School. That was 23 years ago. Over the last almost quarter century, Ming has held a variety of roles and today runs global marketing, branding, and communications. But when Ming graduated from university, she didn't start off in the field of education. She was an on-air presenter at Star Television before pivoting into marketing at Turner Broadcasting System, also known as TBS. It is a Warner Media Company. Ming is also an author, along with her identical twin sister, of three children's books. The latest one is entitled, One Day We Had to Run. These are real stories of flights to freedom. Finally, Ming is also a major league marathon runner and has run at least two marathons a year for the last 30 plus years as someone who has only ever run one marathon, Ming, at the age of 19. Huge respect to you. Ming, welcome to Time for Coffee. Are you caffeinated and ready to go? 
Absolutely. I have my favorite cold foam, cold brew from Starbucks right next to me. Yes, I know when I was doing my research into you that you are not just doing this because you're on the Time for Coffee podcast, but in fact, you are a real life Java junkie. (laughs) That's right. I'm highly caffeinated. Love it. Okay. So let us dive into our Tanespresso shots, which we are framing around the field of for-profit education. The first espresso shot, what entry-level jobs, Ming, are available to young people who want to break into this field? We have tons of entry-level jobs. If anybody checks our LinkedIn or careers at EF.com, you will see that we have jobs in running activities, being course leaders, helping us run tours, being field, working with our field staff for cultural care. I mean, we have any number of operational jobs to teaching jobs to assistant leading jobs. We love to work with young people and get them in the door and really learn from the trenches. Nice. And I saw you also have like a training program or maybe even more than one training program. We have a high performance training program. It's called the EF360 program, where we take very promising college graduates and place them with very senior leader at EF. And they're basically the shadow. We actually borrowed this program. It's called 360 because we say the person who we recruit for this needs to have 360 degrees of talent. And we borrowed it from a Swedish company, actually a media company that had a program called Lumiere. And it was Lumiere stands for light. And it's the first to turn on the lights and the last to turn off the lights. So we named ours 360. Very nice. And for those who may not be familiar with the breadth of what Education First does, I tried to paint the picture, but hey, you're the chief everything officer, I'm sure you're going to do a much better job. How would you like to describe the range of activities that EF runs? So we like to say we're the apple of education. We're a privately held international education company that really has four segments of business. One is language learning. Two is academic degrees. We have IB boarding schools. We have a business school. The third is educational travel, EF educational tours, go-ahead tours, EF ultimate break. Those are all under our educational travel units. And then we have cultural exchange, which is high school students who want to come and study in America or the UK, as well as cultural care au pair. Terrific. Thank you so much. So next espresso shot, what is a useful hard and soft skill, Ming, that you look for? in the young people that you've hired at EF? Right. So I would say, I don't know whether it's sales counts. Would you count sales as a hard or a soft skill? Rob, gosh, I think probably a soft skill. Interesting. Interesting. Because actually I went to Harvard Business School and no business school teaches you sales, but I would say it is the most useful skill that someone could have. It's about storytelling. It's about really influencing people. So yeah, the more they talk about it, I do think of it as a soft skill, but it is an incredibly useful skill to have in life. When I graduated from HBS, I didn't think, oh, I'm going to do sales. But one of my first jobs after business school was being a sales manager. And as a sales manager, I really learned that it's one of the most useful skills. And in terms of hard skills, I would say having the ability to combine 
analytical ability with creative instinct are two very, or one very, very powerful combination. Could you give us an example of that? How would you combine analytical ability with creativity? So I think that for anybody who works in a company that creates products or does services, the ability to foresee what needs to be done and actually calculating back how much it will cost you to do is very, very useful. And I think that someone who just knows numbers, but no creativity, they can go so far, but someone who's creative and analytical can go very, very far. Nice to know. And one other thing that I've learned from interviewing other leaders like you about being in sales is that you have to be a great listener, which is another soft skill as is emotional intelligence, just being able to hear what your customer is saying. Yes. What about someone's major, Ming? Is it a deciding factor to get into the for-profit education field? In other words, if they haven't studied education, if they haven't studied fill in the blank, is it a deal breaker? Absolutely not. I don't think your major necessarily immediately impacts what job you do. I was an East Asian studies major at Harvard College, and that did not prepare me to work at a for-profit education company. I'm a big proponent of a liberal arts education because I think it's a gift to be able to study a wide breadth of subjects in order to figure out what you're interested in. I know there's a strong trend towards pre-professionalism in undergraduate years, which I I encourage, but I also think that it does not matter what major you're in. We've hired people who are English majors. People who do sales don't necessarily come, but again, they don't teach you sales at school. How important is it to have a grad school degree? Ming, you mentioned that you went to Harvard Business School. Is it necessary, not for the entry-level position, but in order to make it up into the C-suite? And if so, what kind of master's would you recommend? So I don't think everybody needs to go, but I think that the return on investment is very, very high. For me, as an East Asian studies major, what I said before, where your major doesn't really matter, having a graduate degree program that really helps you narrow down what you're interested in or could specialize in was absolutely critical to me. And I don't think I would have risen this high had I not gone to business school. So I think it's a good way to specialize, especially if you get a liberal arts degree. Great advice. What about life experiences? And by that, I mean experiences that we have outside the classroom, whether it's traveling, whether it's being one of X number of kids, whether it's garden work, whatever the case may be. What kind of life experiences do you think are most valuable for our young listeners to try to cultivate before they would apply to a for-profit education company? Well, the first thing that we look for is someone who's super flexible and very agile. And I think that if you're a high school student or a young college student, really showing that you're agile and flexible, like have you worked at a really stressful restaurant and had to serve really difficult customers or Are you one of five kids and have to negotiate for the bathroom? We want to see how flexible you are and how agile you can be because you never know what happens, especially when you're dealing with people. (laughs) Yes. And people from over 110 countries with all different cultural sensitivities and red flags and all of that landmines, right? 
Correct. So Ming, hopefully this is an easy question. What is the best part for you of being in this profession? I think it's super rewarding. When I was looking at careers right after college, I considered staying in television or working at an ad agency. And I realized that (laughs) it sounds really corny, but you really have to truly believe in what you do. And I've always 100% believed that what I do actually is very, very rewarding, not only for myself, but for our customers. And my husband is a bank, was an investment banker. And I like to joke, he might have made more money than me, but his career longevity was a lot shorter. So I think that people should think about what kind of longevity could I see myself do? Like how long can I see myself doing this job or being in this industry for? Now, when you say his career longevity was shorter, is that because it's not necessarily an industry that he felt passionately about, that he felt was contributing to a greater good, and therefore he didn't necessarily want to continue running that marathon? He loved what he did. He loved working in finance. But again, finance is is for people who generally sort of make it, they stop after their 50 to 60, you know, it's not, this is generalizing, but okay. I would say it, I think the career longevity for me comes from really enjoying what I do. Cause as I like to tell young people, especially women who are considering having kids that life is about trade-offs. And when you start, you know, maybe having a family or having a partner, or having children, this applies to men as well. They might want to trade, they might not see their career as something they're willing to trade off their other life choices for. I think that's what I mean by longevity. Got it. Okay. Thank you for clarifying. So the flip side, what is the part of your current job, Ming, that sucks the most? I would say, you know, COVID has been really tough on our industry. We're both in education and travel. Schools were shut and no one was flying anywhere. So I really saw from from a firsthand view of what business disaster potentially looks like. I think that's when you have macroeconomic factors that really affect your business that you can't control necessarily, that sucks. I want to get into that in the meantime for a coffee interview, because I am guessing that Education First has made some pretty significant, I don't know if I'd call them changes or maybe pivots. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Pivots that perhaps make you more future ready? Well, obviously the pivot to online is huge. So that was one pivot. The second pivot was really taking a cold, hard look at what our business does and saying what is nice versus what is necessary. Mm, Super interesting. All right. Three final espresso shots. What is the best career advice you've ever gotten, Ming? Hmm. I would say don't worry about what you're doing right after school. I had no clue what my job would be right after college. I got a job as a business analyst at a TV company, which led to this on-air opportunity. But I would say, don't stress out so much the first job out of college. I would go so... I love that. I would go so far as to say, don't stress about your first several jobs out of college because it's all about tasting. Like you're tasting different bowls of porridge, if we were to do the Goldilocks story here, and you're seeing what the right temperature is for you. 
I like to say, actually, I, I like that analogy. I like, I use the analogy that it's much easier to know what you don't want to do than what you do want to do. So if you have summers or a couple of weeks to do things that like, I tried teaching when I was in college. I knew I didn't like to teach. I tried doing other things like working in F&B. I knew I didn't want to go into anything that had to do with that. So I think that by process of elimination, it's easier to find what you like. By the way, F&B for our listeners, if you don't know, is food and beverage, I believe. Yes. Okay. Fun question. What movies, if any, or Netflix, Amazon, Hulu streaming shows or books do you think accurately depicts this industry, Ming? So this isn't per se about education, but a book that really portrays what it's like to run and grow a business, which has happened to EF is Shoe Dog by Phil Knight. I read Shoe Dog, I laughed out loud because how he talked about how he was with a band of young entrepreneurs was so resonant to how EF started. Bertel Holt, who's the owner and founder of EF, really began like Phil Knight began and at the same time period. Um, Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Cool. But we'll make sure to include Shoe Dog and the link in show notes. Final espresso shot. What would Java junkies be surprised to learn about this industry, Ming? I think most people don't think of for-profit education or education as a industry or business to go into. I just want to give a stat is that EF taught more people in China last year than the seventh largest school district in the United States or school children in Stockholm, Sweden. So that just gives you a sense of the scale and the amount of people who've been reached with just one of our programs. Wow, that is huge. And that was during COVID? Yes. So that was 2020? Yes. Amazing. Ming is not only the chief culture officer at Education First, serious marathon runner, author, Ming's book is entitled Escape. One day we had to run. These are real stories of flights to freedom. Ming, I want to thank you so much for making time for coffee today with me and the T4C community. This was just wonderful. Thank you so much for having me, Andrea. And thank you, listeners. Thanks so much for listening to this latest episode of T4C. And if you're interested in learning more about my coaching services for confused college students and recent grads, feel free to check out the Time for Coffee website under the coaching tab at time, the number four, coffee.org or text me at 202-236-5712. That's 202-236-5712. Thank you.